Hello and welcome to Unbossed. We are so glad that you are here and we have none other than Francesca Florentini in the house with us today. Holding down the co-host chair, she also is host of the Biduation Room. You don't want to miss that baby, no you do not. <laughs> Francesca, how you doing darling? I'm good, it's a fantastic Friday. So happy to be here with you, Senator. Um, yeah, it's been an okay week. It's been an interesting one. A lot of State of the Union fallout. And, um, you know, the right just feels really desperate. So that makes me feel good. <laughs> okay. The right being desperate makes Francesca feel good. I got uh -huh. that. Uh, very much so. And on today's show, we are going to be talking about the Super Bowl weekend. Of course, we got to get some Super Bowl stuff in there. And we're going to highlight some amazing black history as we talk about the Super Bowl weekend. And then something that Northeast Ohio, or should I say the greater Cleveland area has a lot to be proud of in particular, and that's some brotherly love. And then George Santos is back in the news again. This brother, he just cannot help himself. Can you guess his latest new gig? A lie. And later in the show, the fight for rail workers is far from over. So we're gonna get this party started real right. We're gonna talk about the Super Bowl first. We got some brotherly love and a little competition. Take a look. Just like mom, when she knows her boys had a big battle, she comes bearing gifts. Come on in here, mom. Come on in here, mom. Mom Donna is joining us. Is she, mom, mom, you're bringing in these cookies. You're probably been cooking these cookies forever for these guys. That's what got them big and ready for the for the NFL. <laughs> oh, you love to see it, don't you, Francesca? I'm just smiling from ear to ear. That was Donna Kelsey surprising her sons, Jason and Travis, during the media week for the Super Bowl. And of course, the Eagles are playing the Chiefs in the big game. And Jason plays for the Eagles while Travis plays for the Chiefs. So, how does Donna, you know, Mama, their mother? Mama Donna, the side root for Mama Donna. Let's hear it from her. Take a listen and a look. How on earth do you decide who to root for? Oh, it's going to be easy. You know, I have to stand and scream the entire game. Uh, they're both on offense. So every time somebody has a ball, I'll be clapping. And every time somebody gets a touchdown, I'll be thrilled. There it is. Because she wins or she wins, either way. Exactly. Mama Donna can't lose in this situation. And there's a special place in my heart for these two brothers, obviously, because they represent Greater Cleveland, baby. Raised in Cleveland Heights, Ohio, these brothers were college teammates at Cincinnati from 2008 to 2009. And during his senior year, Travis caught 45 passes for 722 yards and eight touchdowns earning first team all conference honors. And Jason earned second team all conference honors and started all 13 games in his senior year. That reporting is coming from the New York Times. I got to tell you something. Greater Cleveland is on fire, baby. Probably all of Ohio's on fire. Everybody gonna try to claim them, but you see that says Cleveland Heights, a suburb of the great city of Cleveland and considered to be two of the best, 
to play their respective positions and each already having won a Super Bowl already. Mama Donna will also most likely be seeing her sons enshrined in the Pro Football Hall of Fame once their careers are over. Oh my God, Francesca, you know, Mama Donna is in a great is in a great position on this Sunday. Yeah, absolutely. She wins or she wins, like you said, and it's it's adorable. I like to see um big, hard, strong men with like really sweet moms with who are baking them cookies and them remembering where they came from. Um, must not have been easy to uh, carry those two for nine months apiece and raise them. I mean, right? And and breastfeed them if she did or whatnot. Like they probably ate her out of house and home as well. Um, so. So yeah, I like to see those heartwarming stories, especially when it comes to what I believe is a sport that is incredibly rough and violent. Yeah. I am not a personal fan of football for many, many, many reasons. Yes. Uh, my latest thing is I want it to be democratically owned, kick Goodell out and all the shareholders and it should be owned by the players. That's my thing. Um, uh, because I think that if the sport continues, uh, it should it should drastically change. But it is nice to see that and it also just makes you be like, man, we should all think of these players who put their bodies on the line in the ways that their parents think of them, in the ways that their moms think of them and keep them safe. Um, make sure that we reduce the amount of concussions, make sure we reduce the amount of violence surrounding it. A lot of thoughts, Nina, a lot of thoughts. No, I got it and we covered that a lot on this show. We talk about the good, the bad and the ugly and the concussions and how players are being treated. I mean, there's a lawsuit pending against the NFL right now for that kind of treatment in terms of how they deal with concussions and people with disabilities and many of the former players feeling as though they're throwaway because they can't earn them any money anymore. Right. We know that the majority of the league in terms of the players are black, over 70% are black, while the majority of the owners over 90% almost 100% of those owners are white. So we do have a problem in the NFL. And I don't think your idea is too bad, Francesca. But what I said for the supporters of football is that because the football players themselves have complained about the way that they are treated, especially if they get injured, the fans have a responsibility to those players to force the NFL to do right by them or boycott them until they do right by the players, as you said, who put their bodies on the line. So yes, sure. but we are rooting and we are, cause it's not a but, all of these things can be true at the same time. We will root for uh, the brothers and Mama Donna. So now we want to talk about, cause we've talked about this before too, the black history element of this, because there are a lot of firsts going on in this particular Super Bowl for black history itself. So last week and this week, we talked about the black history already being made before the game. Here is a quick recap. So we got Mark Marial, the president and CEO of the Urban League. Let's put up his tweet. History made Patrick Mahomes and Jalen Hurts will be the first black starting quarterbacks to be featured in the Super Bowl. Hello. Mm -hmm somebody on that. That is indeed is a beautiful thing. As we know for many years and the NFL still has many more uh, mountains to climb, much more ground to cover before we just start shouting them out all the way. This is a beautiful thing. But however, the NFL have, has discriminated year after year against black players believing that they were not smart enough 
or intellectually capable enough, let me put that out there, to be quarterbacks. So not only is this black history in the making happening right at this moment, the NFL still has a longer way to go on that baby. And also this history right here, Autumn Lockwood has made history as the first black woman to coach in the Super Bowl, baby. You better go ahead and say that because of them we can. Thank you for bringing that up. We are wishing Autumn the best of luck. You do that, you do that, girl. Black girl magic is real, we work so hard for it. And now we've got even more, this right here. In observance of Black History Month, we remember the trailblazers and icons that paved the way as Jalen Hurts' agent, Nicole Lynn, already made history as the first black woman to represent a quarterback in the Super Bowl. More black girl magic is happening right there. And that is coming from HBCU Premier Sports. You better go ahead and do that, Nicole Lynn. You are doing that. So not only is Jalen making history, but his agent is making history as well. And as a matter of fact, Nicole is the lead on Jalen's all, and I mean all female, all women, all ladies management team. Can we get a whoop whoop for that? And he spoke of the importance of this moment. Take a look. Yeah, I think it's very important to give women in this industry opportunity, considering that um, not many people kind of see it the way I see it. You know, I, knowing how much work you know, we all put in. You know, and I feel like there are a lot of women out there that have the same aspirations that a man may have, and they're just not given that opportunity. You know, I have a, a team full of go-getters that's going to work and, and get it done by any means, and I don't think that's the, defined by whether you're a female or a male. You know what I'm saying? But I just see them as, as good people. Go ahead, on Jalen. You you said you said that. I mean, Francesca, I'm proud, and what he said is right on time and right on the money. Yeah, and and like so so late, right? I mean, I mean the fact that that is newsworthy just shows you how behind like you know industries like sports and athletics are when it comes to parity, equality, and representation, which do matter again beyond the critiques we might have of this sport. It does matter to have inclusivity when it comes to who is an agent, who's representing these players, who's coaching. I mean, Autumn Lockwood, that's incredible to be an assistant coach for the Eagles. That is huge, huge, huge. And then, of course, the most obvious having black players be quarterbacks, right? It is kind of a microcosm for um, general like racism in the United States and sort of um, hierarchy in the United States, right? Where you know you could e easily see some racist being like, "Oh, the NFL's gone woke." Why? Not because um, there are black players, but because there are black people and women in positions that they don't feel comfortable having them in. They're not gonna be there to be the battering rams and the receivers and the whatnot. They're actually making the plays. They're actually you know, constructing the plays. They're actually doing the deals and that makes racists uncomfortable. Do you know what I mean? So it's like, it's, it's in oh, yeah. all the ways that we talk about like, you know, you like black Americans, but only under your thumb, you only, better say it. only in that yeah, second class citizenship. Second class and, citizenship, the 21st century fly. version. No, you, you're right, Francesca, you laying it down there, 21st century version. So if you're not a white supremacist or anti-black, you should have no problem about what is happening in the NFL. It has taken too long and they still have many, many, many more 
yards to go right. on this thing. But we're going to shout it out for today. George Santos has a new line in his resume of lies. Lies, lies, and damn lies. And now Democrats are calling for him to be expelled. Take a look. We filed in the House floor an expulsion of George Santos, of Congressman Santos. It's really important for us to recognize that George Santos is a fraud, a liar. He has lied about the most horrific shooting in the in LGBTQ modern history, the Pulse nightclub shooting. He's lied about 9-11. He's lied about the Holocaust. He's lied about his education. He's lied about his career. Uh, and as we all know, just recently, he's been now given classified access to important information and classified information that he should not have. The man is a liar for sure. I mean, if you look up lying in the dictionary in terms of members of Congress, he'd probably be in the top five for sure. But trust, he ain't by himself. And as somebody pointed out, there may be a class dynamic going on to this too, because Santos is not from that upper, upper, upper echelons. But you know, a liar, an ultra wealthy liar and a work class liar. Hey, lies are liars are liars. But I just had mm-hmm. to put that out. There might be a class element to this as well. So what you just watched was a group of House Democrats led by Representative Robert Garcia, who are pushing a resolution to expel George Santos from Congress. Not Now, you might be wanting to ask yourself, what has he been lying about lately? I'm so glad that you asked. Let's put up this headline right here. Santos was charged with theft in 2017, case tied to Amish dog breeder. The New York (laughs) congressman had the the charge dismissed and his record expunged after claiming his checkbook was stolen. I mean, that could have happened. Nothing good. That's for sure. This this man, he just can't help himself. And here is more on this situation in question. Rep George Santos was charged with theft in Pennsylvania's Amish country in 2017 after a series of bad checks were written in his name to dog breeders, according to the court and a lawyer friend who helped him address the charge. Now, the charges were expunged in 2021. After Santos told prosecutors he quote worked for the S E.C. And that is the Security and Exchange Commission, according to the attorney, Tiffany Boskian, a former friend of Santos who assisted in his efforts to resolve the issue. Santos claims that his checkbook was stolen. I mean, hey, it's it's a possibility. Now, you know, people get the checkbook stolen all the time. Uh, Here are copies of the checks that Santos claimed were stolen, both marked for puppies. Oh my God! Just right, come on in, friend. Uh, you know, to Amish dog breeders. I mean, first of all, what's the weird obsession with like swindling people who like animals? Like, first it's, oh, I'll help you and your sick animal get aid. J.K. I'm gonna pocket that mon- money, and now you're swindling the Amish. Like, I love that. First, I mean, because it's just there's no depth. There's no end to the depth of his depravity. It's bottomless. It's like. Oh, is oh a homeless vet gonna swindle an the Amish community gonna swindle? What have the Amish done to you? They make quilts and they're breeding dogs. Um, it's it's not gonna. You guys know there's more. Like you know, there's gonna be some like he's there's a Make a Wish Foundation grift coming at us, and it has to do with little <laughs> kitty cats. Bet on that. But but you're so right about the class element. It's just they don't like. I'm saying like. Look, Democrats aside, I do think that generally what 
incenses some current sitting, like Mitt Romney, right? Who said that George Sanders shouldn't be in the chamber during the State of the Union. He was so close to Biden, so close to the cameras. It's that they're mad that like kind of a commoner has done the same thing that they always do, which is- There it is. And yeah, they do it on a white collar level. They cook their books, they do their stock buybacks, right? They 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 cheat their own employees. Out of, they do some wage theft, but we don't call it lying, right? Come we on. don't call it that. We don't call them getting their tax accountants to do like you know funny business with the loopholes. We don't call that lying. That's all above board supposedly, but it is cheating effectively. And so they don't, you know, they all lie to get elected. Now that being said, I do think George Santos is absolutely beneath the role of a congressperson. But it is funny that they feel particularly incensed because it's like, hey, only if you've got a nice last, only if you're a Romney can you do that, you know? Like, that's it. Ooh, Francesca, you laying this out. We could do a whole show on this, but there is a class element, not excusing anything that Santos has lied about because he is a pathological liar. I mean, the man tells lies on top of lies, on top of lies, on top of lies, and after that, the man just keeps lying. Mm-hmm. You know, Jackson was on the show the other day. Jackson, where he said, you know, he need to go on and get out of Congress and 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 just go social media celebrity because he would be a hit. He could have a show called Truth and Lies, or I would say the lies and the lies on top of the lies. That would be his show. But absolutely, there's a class element here. And Francesca, the point that you made about the stock buybacks, why don't they have a press conference about that? About how, the, hey, we standing up against these stock buybacks, baby. We don't want to have anything to do with the stock buybacks. We are calling on our colleagues to reject mm-hmm. insider trading. Oh no, they ain't gonna do that. But they messing with this brother because he don't come from the same elk. Now, you know, the man is a con man, ain't no doubt about it. But Santos has said that. He merely fabricated parts of his resume. Of course, he said that and has denied breaking any laws. Santos is facing at least five law enforcement probes, including an FBI investigation into his role in a service dog charity scheme, which Francesca just briefly mentioned, tied to Friends of Pets Unite and a Brazilian fraud case. I mean, he's just a gift that keeps on giving. He got a whole lot of nerves. But if you are miffed, about Representative Santos. There are a whole bunch of other folks in that Congress you need to be miffed about as well. We're gonna keep you posted on Santos and all the others up in that Congress, up in here, up in here. Oh, we got some good news. Now we started off with some good news, and then Francesca, you know, brought us back to reality about <laughs> how brutal football is while we were <laughs> sorry celebrating the Cleveland Heights I mean, brothers and black history, but it's okay because I'm all with Francesca on that. Okay. She said. Hey, you told the truth. We gonna talk about it all. That was a beautiful thing. I'm there for Rihanna on Sunday, Nina. I'm sorry, but <laughs> Riri's got me. Riri's that's, got you. That's why I'll be watching. Okay, Riri's got you. I love me some Riri too. I'll be there for <laughs> that. I'll be there for the greater Cleveland history that's being made, and I will definitely be there for Black history in the making. So some more good news, but I think Francesca is gonna tell us about the brutality of this sport as well. And I'm right with her on this. I want you to watch some. Bad ass, unbossed young women in action. Look at this. Go, girl. 
go, 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 go. I love to see it. What you just watched were it was a video from the newly opened first women's boxing gym in the Gaza. Now, Francesca, I, you know, not a whole lot of people know this, so I just want you to keep this between us. But Sister Turner does some some boxing as well, baby. I got me some pink boxing gloves, and I can relate to them sisters. You know, I get it in. And when I was doing the bags, that's primarily what I do. I would visualize people who have worked my last nerve. <laughs> Their face <laughs> on that bag, because that is the only way that I can get it in without having some repercussions and some consequences, because these people ain't worth it. But indeed, a beautiful thing. It is great exercise, and you can get out a whole lot of frustration on those bags. So the gym was started by Coach Osame Oaobu, and I probably messed up that man's name. Y'all forgive me, please. Uh, six years ago, he started with two girls. As more joined, they moved out of the garage and began training on the beach or in rented spaces before moving into a new boxing club. How about I just call him Coach O? I will do that. Now around 40 girls train in the center with this full-size boxing ring, training equipment, and posters of boxing heroes. Hello, such as Mike Tyson on the walls. Mm -hmm. Find expectations in a region where boxing has traditionally been a sport for men. Hell, in this region too. And Coach O has full faith in these young women, which is a beautiful thing. The girls are ready. I trained them hard for five years. We are setting an example. You better say that, Coach O. The gym has proven to be an outlet for these girls. And that girl power is so important, including a young girl by the name of Farah. And since taking to the sport at the age of nine, Farah has found a release from the daily stresses of life in the Gaza, a narrow coastal strip where some 2.3 million Palestinians live blockaded by both Israel and neighboring Egypt. But Fair doesn't want to stop there. This is what Fair had to say. Some people used to tell me why boxing. What are you going to benefit from it? Go and learn something girly. I benefit a lot from boxing. And today my ambition is to represent my Palestinian people and take part in world championships. You better say that, Farah, and big ups to Coach O. Francesca. I love this. I mean, what's I really, really love this, and it is important to understand what Gaza is. Gaza has been called an open air prison, and effectively is. It is blockaded on all sides by Israel, including the shores, preventing much needed medicine, tools, infrastructure, materials from getting to the region. There's a lot of tunnels that are being used, and we're very much fear-mongered to believe that those tunnels are used only for explosives and it's all, you know, uh, uh, Hamas using them. No, no, no. It's also used for like vital needed uh, uh, materials, medicine, etc. And it's just important to know this is also a region, it's not only overcrowded Gaza, it is the youngest population, I believe, in perhaps the world. So when it comes to children growing up and living in dignity, this having some kind of outlet like boxing is absolutely part of that. And and so long as they are not able to live in dignity because of the geopolitical situation, because of what Israel is doing to them, my God, they deserve access to these kinds of activities. Um, and and I have nothing but belief and faith in the young women, young Palestinian women. Um, we we saw that, we've seen that um, 
um, in in the West Bank. I'm I'm saying Ahed Tamimi, I, I believe is her name. That we all have to understand her story. She she stood up to to Israeli soldiers. Everyone read the book. They call me lioness, written by my good friend Dina Takuri and Ahed Tamimi. Um, I probably I hope I'm not butchering her name, but. Uh, all to say, my faith and my future hope lies in Palestinian girls. That's all. Yeah, amen to that. And just big ups to the coach for believing in these girls and pouring into them in ways that had he not had this type of vision would not be being done at this moment in the Gaza. So big ups. Let's get to some viewer comments, shall we? On Twitch, surrender to the flow. Finally, a Franny Friday. I know that's right, surrender <laughs> to the flow. I was waiting on Franny Friday too. Surrender baby. to the feel. <laughs> yes, I've been suffering from a lack of Francesca in my life. <laughs> I love you ladies so much. All right, you got your dose today, baby. Yes, you did. And on YouTube Super Chat, Snack Panther. Hey, Snack Panther. Franny Fran and Nina, happy <laughs> Friday, ladies. Break it down today. We doing our best to break it like it ain't never been broke before, baby. And Donald, Nina, and Franny are the fire squad. You yeah. know what? We, we receive that. Yeah, we do. Because we hot, baby. Hot. Always, always hot. Thank you so much for your support of the show. And thank you so much for your support of TYT Network. We could not do what we do, boo, without each and every one of you. We appreciate you so much. Rail workers keep up paid sickly fight. Take a look at this. Across the country would have been unable to feed their livestock. And thanks to the bill Congress passed and one I'm about to sign, we've spared the country that catastrophe. At the same time, we ensured workers are going to get a historic 24% wage increase over the next five years, improved working conditions, and peace of mind around their health care. And look, I know this bill doesn't have paid sick leave that these rail workers and frankly, every worker in America deserves. I don't get it. I mean, how can you say you know the bill doesn't include paid sick leave, but then the next few words out of your mouth is, but every worker deserves. If they deserve mm -hmm. it, then give it to them. You all may remember that last, just last year, the 117th Congress, which was controlled by the Democrats, both chambers of that Congress, the Senate and the House, and this president, along with the Secretary of Transportation, denied these rail workers the ability to have paid sick leave. What difference does it make if you get those raises and all the other things that he was laying out there to cover for the fact that they took away what is the strongest positioning, the strongest tool that workers have in their toolbox, which is the strike? What difference does any of that make? when they don't have paid sick leave, paid family leave, and that this industry, that the, that the Congress and this president sided with the rail barons over the workers and their families. Every human being needs to be able to take a break every now and then. People get sick, our bodies break down a little bit. And it is immoral and inhumane that these United States of America, that that is what happened to the rail workers just last year, late last year. As a matter of fact, we all are old enough to remember. And you can't call yourself a pro worker president when you did that. Congress did that, they didn't have to step in at all, but they did that and this president did that as well. So US Senator Bernie Sanders on Thursday launching a renewed push for at least seven days of paid sick leave for the rail workers. Let's watch. Here today assembled to send a very strong 
message to the CEOs in the rail industry. And that is that the American people are sick and tired of the type of corporate greed we are seeing in that industry. Uh, at a time of record-breaking profits, that industry can and must guarantee at least seven paid sick days to every rail worker in America. In the year 2023, that is not a whole lot to ask. No, Francesca, I mean, not a whole lot at all. And I quite frankly think seven days is not enough, but it is a start. And oh not only God. should we hold the CEOs of the companies accountable, and Senator Sanders voted against that bill too, by the way. So let's let the record reflect. And there were a few others that voted against the bill to prohibit the rail workers from going on strike. But not only should we put the CEOs of these companies on notice, we need to put that Congress on notice too, Fran. Yeah, no, look, I think you, it is, Look, seeing the President of the United States say, I think every worker deserves paid sick leave, but then go ahead and basically lean on Congress to preemptively break that strike that was imminent is the most cowed response to industry that I have seen. You're the President, you could create a directive. If it were Bernie Sanders as President, you think he would be fighting for them? You're damn right he would, and he still is, even though he is not president, right? So this is what I mean when we talk about Biden and ultimately, yes, there are some inching in the right direction from from the labor board right now. But it is not nearly where we need to go. And then push comes to shove coming out of this pandemic when you've got the supply chain issues, you've got inflation. Time and time again, it is the workers who are being told you have to take the hit. You have to, we have to put the squeeze on you when they are the ones who have the least. And the only thing they have is the power to strike. And so again, it is talking out of both sides of your mouth and ultimately saying, guess what? I am cowed, I am owned by industry. I am too afraid the neoliberal economists are in my ear talking all this noise when all I have to do is show a little bit of backbone. And guess what? Hell, hey. We found some sick days. Oh, hey, what do you know? These CEOs, they have some more money. And you know that we know they do. But that's not the world we're living in, Nina. That's not who our president is, sadly. No, it's not. And you're right, talking out of both sides of your mouth, always. I mean, this is beyond sad. I mean, it really is immoral to deny them those sick days and to to side with the rail worker. I mean, the rail barons, because that's mm-hmm. what they did. And to say, you know, we don't want the economy to falter. Well, guess what? We don't want the economy to falter either. So give the workers what they asking for because they wasn't asked. They weren't asking for too much. There was nothing unreasonable, Francesca, about what exactly. they were asking for. Like this didn't make sense to me. And so many in the media, you know, let this president, let the Secretary of Transportation get away with these flipped answers that really make no sense <laughs> whatsoever. I want labor, I want Americans to recognize this, that this they came for the rail workers, it'll be you next. Or somebody you love, or some issue that you love, did not absolutely did not stand up for those rail workers. They stood up for their owner donors. That's what they did. Now here's some details that might continue to make your blood boil. They make minds boil. Union Pacific, which defeated labor unions and progressive advocates in labor negotiations late last year, avoiding a contract that would have included paid sick leave for workers, reported a seven billion dollars with a B, underline it, underscore it, exclamation point. Right? In income, it spent 6.3 
billion dollars on stock buybacks and just 4.6 billion on employee pay and benefits. And let me tell you something, America, if we can report this on Unbossed, you know that President Biden knew this, you know that Secretary Buttigieg knew this, you know that all the members of the 117th Congress knew this as well, but yet they still decided with a few, there were a few principal elected officials in that Congress that voted against that bill, shout out to them. But for the most part, the Congress let this happen to those workers and basically said to hell with you, your health and your family. And yeah. rail giants, they're doing extraordinarily well. The most important part of this, Sanders added that seven guaranteed paid sick days would cost the rail industry just $321 million <laughs> annually, less than 1.2% of its profits. Do you hear that? Do you understand that? Francesca, go ahead. I know you want to jump in here, baby. Do no. your thing. <laughs> no, I mean, it's, it's insane. Like it, the greed, you can't take it with you and you haven't figured out how to get to Mars. You haven't figured out to put on a bionic suit made of the poor so you can live forever. You can't spend this in a million lifetimes. What are you doing? So it's it just like it boggles the mind. Now look, President Biden's like, okay, we want to tax corporations that do stock buybacks a four percent tax. You think that they're gonna be so scared of that? But they can afford four yeah, percent. Why don't you can. raise that even more, or why don't you make it illegal? Look, yeah. you could stock buyback after. You meet the following guidelines. You have sick leave, you have pay family leave, you have minimum wage, you that have health care, you whatever you 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 take care of the environment, you're running on green energy, and then maybe we'll let you boost your shareholders a little bit. We're still gonna tax you. But that's that's not the number one line. It's just, I mean, anyway, Nina, Yo, that's all. No, friends, I know. <laughs> Our righteous indignation is necessary because far too often folks on TV, they talk about these stories and they have such a cool, calm, collected demeanor about other people's suffering. I mean, the rail workers have talked about how they can't get time off, they're exhausted. These people, they cut the labor force within the rail industry. And later today, Francesca, we're gonna talk about a truck carrying poison derailed. And how the people in East Palestine, Ohio got to bear the brunt of that because of the failure of government. Yep. So, I mean, listen, y'all, on Unboss, you're going to get that righteous indignation. Oh, yeah, you're going to get it. We're going to let you know. And so Senator Sanders laid it down by finally saying this. Well, I have news for executives in the rail industry. If they think that those of us in Congress who voted for seven days paid sick days for workers are gonna forget this issue. They got it wrong, we are not gonna forget this issue. Now I hope that the companies, that the corporations do the right thing. I hope they do it voluntarily and we're making some progress. If they don't, I look forward to seeing them right here in this Senate committee room to tell us why they cannot afford to do the right and moral things for their workers. Boom, there it is, mic drop. Look forward to seeing you folks all up here and here in my committee so you can explain to me and the American people why you can't do the right, just, and moral thing on behalf of your workers. Hello, 
somebody. But let's just highlight a little good that has happened. Francesca and I have some of that. Huge win, railway union strike deal on sick leave with industry giant CSX. CSX Transportation agreed Tuesday to provide 5,000 employees in two unions with four paid days of sick leave each year. An industry first, thank God that they did do that. It should serve as an example for these other rail companies. It's an industry first, certainly is not enough. It is a start. I ain't gonna say it's a good start, it's a start. Because you know, Francesca, every time we say this, we make it seem like these workers are being unreasonable about what mm-hmm. they're asking for. They are asking for what they really deserve. And that is why, yeah, this is good, it is a first, but we shouldn't be patting these co- uh, corporations on their backs and acting like they did something so miraculous when really they only given the rail workers of that company or any other company the bare minimum of what these workers actually deserve. Bare minimum for six days. And imagine if those unions hadn't existed. Imagine if this hadn't been in the national conversation since you know before the new year or since last year, right? It would have been completely different. So the fact that they are now coming to the table just shows you like how important unions are. Last thing I'm gonna say is we saw what Senator Sanders did to Amazon, right? He was like, I will not let Bezos out of my, he was like, I'm gonna grip your neck like a like a dog, you know, like I'm gonna wrestle you and I'm not gonna let you go, Bezos. You gotta get, a, you got a $15 minimum wage and guess what? Amazon did, they did. Now they still don't have a recognized union throughout all of their stores. But that was a start, so you better watch out. When Senator Sanders has your industry in his sights, they're gonna come to the table. They're gonna definitely come to the table. They better come to the table. And for those of us, we can show support for the House of Labor. Many of us have people in labor unions in our families. And if you do not, just remember that unions help to pull up the wages of everybody else. So guess what, working class folks, we are definitely, definitely have to be in support of one another's struggle. So we're gonna keep pushing rail workers, y'all keep doing y'all daggone thing. We are right there with you, baby, in a bottle on a train, we say right here <laughs> on Unbossed, baby. We got your back. You deserve those sick days and you deserve so much more than what you are getting. We right here with you. We'll be back. After this, and welcome back to the show. Some more of your comments. You know, this is the absolute best part of the show for me. Randy, Joe, Rail, Baron, Biden. You got that right, Randy. Shy Coltrane. With all the greed, wage theft, exploitation of the most vulnerable and powerless, I wonder why this country is not up in flames. Shy Train, you you putting a point there. People are gonna get so frustrated. We might see some action like we saw in France, just pouring out into the streets. That's coming from our TYT members. Thank you so much. And on Twitch, Risa, I was almost broken today. I brought this fire Nina energy back to my forethought and I feel better. 
Nina is wonderful. Risa, let me just say to you, I hope that you do feel better each and every day. And please, whatever's going on in your life, try not to let it get you down. You are, you are, you are unique and you are special and you are worthy, baby. Play some music, meditate, whatever it is that gets you lifted up. But I am honored to be one of those energy variables that lifts your day. Sending you love, Risa, so much love. And on YouTube, Super Chat, Hoover, hey Hoover, I need a PJ and B sandwich. That's a primary Joe Biden sandwich. That would be delicious. Hello, Hoover. <laughs> what a way to set it off, baby. I heard that. A whole bunch of folks want some of that sandwich. Uh, here we go. So I am so, so very excited. I want you all to know I have two of the best journalists in the world in the house. They work for one of the best publications in the world. And that is Rebecca Burns and Matthew Cook. Hello, Rebecca. Hello, Matthew. And we are so glad to have you here with us on Unbossed today. How you both feeling? Feeling good. Thanks so much for having us, Senator Turner. Good. It is definitely our pleasure. And so we're going to be talking about the article that you wrote about what is happening and what is happening in East Palestine, Ohio. But we did get some breaking news that we want people to watch. Take a look. Rail workers warned us about disaster like this. I heard firsthand months ago about the corporate practice of precision scheduled railroading. Precision scheduled railroading is uh, shorter staff, longer hours, longer trains, less safety, less maintenance. Do I have all that right? Oh, you got it all right, Tommy. Rail workers tried to strike over this stuff, but were stopped by Congress. A few weeks later, and here we are. Several Norfolk Southern cars of toxic, highly volatile chemicals exploded fantastically in the tiny town of East Palestine, Ohio. Yeah, they tried to warn them, and here we are. Take a look, and thank you for that, for most perfect, more perfect union. Take a look at what David Sirota put up in a tweet breaking after Ohio derailment at Secretary Pete Buttigieg has no plan to reinstate Obama's break rule despite a warning to Congress that without it, there will be more derailments. Buttigieg's DOT, that's the Department of Transportation, is now considering a proposal that may weaken the safety rules, if any of you can believe that. So Rebecca and Matthew wanna bring you in to talk to our viewers about what happened in East Palestine, Ohio on February the 6th. Right, so as we know last week, um, there was a pretty horrific derailment in East Palestine, um, a small community of about 5,000 people that led to residents uh, being forced to evacuate their homes. Um, so we're still learning about what chemicals were being transported by the freight train and that residents and first responders were therefore exposed to. What the lover learned when we started digging into this situation was that the train that remember, had a hundred foot uh, flames coming from it was not being regulated as what's called a high hazard flammable train. So curious, um, considering those photos, uh, you know, that are apocalyptic that we've been looking at. Um, so when we sort of went back to see what the story is here, what we learned is that the rail industry and its lobbyists succeeded twice over in convincing uh, first Obama era regulators and then under the Trump administration 
to uh, to gut safety regulations that could have required um, uh, better braking technology that could have, if not prevented, uh, certainly reduced um, the damage caused by uh, this incident. As we just heard, um, as, as my colleague David's uh, tweet indicated, what we reported on further today is that now, um, uh, the Department of Transportation under Secretary uh, Pete Buttigieg um, is not planning to reinstate uh, the brake safety rule that was repealed under Donald Trump. Instead, um, his uh, department is considering a separate measure to further weaken uh, brake testing requirements. Yeah, just absolutely unbelievable. Matthew, before we bring you in, I want to put up this headline for folks who are watching and they want to see. And I do encourage you all to make sure that you read this reporting in the lever. You need to subscribe. This is one of the best independent publications in the world. Yeah, take it from me. Rail companies block safety rules before Ohio derailment. And that is what Rebecca was referring to. And Norfolk Sutherland helped convince government officials to repeal break rules and corporate lobbyists watered down hazmat safety regs. So Matthew, your take on, I know that the suffering there and the chemicals told that the carcinogenic vinyl chloride, I think that it is, is is all in the air there. I know that the, the residents there are all up in arms as well as they should be. Talk to us a little bit more about what that impact could and may be and some of the other things you may be seeing or hearing on the ground. Yeah, I, I mean, what we know is that the rail industry really does not have an active commitment to safety. We've seen this time and again, you know, railroad workers, it's a dangerous job. The rail unions, every time that there's contract negotiations, have broad proposals for reducing overwork, for increasing safety practices on the railroads. Uh, the, this cross union group that's gotten a lot of attention, Railroad Workers United. They have explicitly endorsed uh, these this new braking technology, um, and but what they said to us is that uh, you know 15 years ago, in, and Rebecca helped uncover this 15 years ago, prior to the kind of real corporate greed stock buyback era that we're in now. Uh, Norfolk Southern was championing these new breaks. Uh, they recognized that in the long term, this would make them money. Uh, and so, really, what you have is, you know, the large Wall Street banks uh, encouraging stock buybacks, tying uh, stock price to executive compensation, and that means that senior executives at Norfolk Southern don't think beyond the next quarter at all. They don't think about the long-term financial health of the business. And I think the other thing that really undergirds this is that it's a huge monopoly. Uh, there is no, you know, railroad there, while there are multiple railroad companies, they don't compete with each other. Each one of them controls a specific part of the market. And a huge portion of their business isn't just moving supplies, it's extracting rent from owning these under these these railroads uh, that they also don't even maintain very well. No, they so, don't. I, and Matthew, I just want to add, I mean, when I was on the Cleveland City Council dealt with the railroads often and the complaints that I would hear from my residents about the fact that point that you just made that they don't maintain 
uh, their property very well. And it was like pulling teeth just to even try to get a hold of anybody to hold responsible. So this has an impact on the local, you know, regional, state, and federal levels of government. And your point about the, the money, because I, I want the viewers to understand it's always follow the money. Part of your reporting that you put you all put out, and I know that Sirota was part of this and one of your other colleagues also was four writers of this. But then came 2017 after the rail industry donors delivered $6 million to the GOP. They stood in the way of what the Obama administration was at first trying to do in terms of changing the rules. $6 million worth of donations. So they spending this money to lobby against safety because they believe it's a better payoff. And then the other point that you were making, but instead of investing in the safety features, the seventh largest freight railroad companies in the US, including Norfolk Sutherland, spent $191 billion on stock buybacks and shareholder dividends between 2011 and 2021, far more than the $138 billion those firms spent on capital investments in the same time period. It is absolutely ridiculous that Congress will let them get away with this. And let's put up something really quickly from Twitterverse. And Rebecca and Matthew, I want you both to weigh in on these things very quickly. But we have Robert C. Atkinson Jr. and he puts up 14 miles from my house in East Palestine, Ohio, Norfolk Sutherland assures us that the vinyl chloride spilling from the tanks of this derailment train and burning and turning into hydrogen chloride as it rises in the atmosphere. is basically Robert saying they telling him it's nothing to see here. There's nothing to worry about. And then this next one from Lady Just Fed Up, people with personal chickens in East Palestine are all reporting all of their chickens are suddenly deceased, but the art, but the railroad assures everyone the plume of death from the control explosion is perfectly safe. So any thoughts, final thoughts about that and what do you see happening next? Yeah, it's a pretty stunning regulatory failure. Um, you know, as I noted, what is so terrifying, I can imagine, for residents is that they really don't know what they were exposed to and what the long-term uh, health impacts of that are going to be. Um, in terms of what we might see next, um, you know, as as I said, uh, we really haven't seen steps by Secretary Buttigieg's uh, Department of Transportation to reinstate some of these critical rules. Um, but as Matthew just noted, there is a push. Um, by rail workers, by rail unions, um, and also by former uh, former safety regulators, uh, former members of the Federal Railroad Administration, um, to move to uh, you know force the railroads uh, to do these kind of technological upgrades that at one point they agreed um, you know are are sound scientifically and would make sense in the long run. Yeah, absolutely. Well, well, listen, we're gonna have you both back, Matthew and Rebecca. We appreciate you being here. And I wanna end with a tweet from More Perfect Union here, Norfolk Sutherland, the rail giant whose train derailed in East Palestine has offered to cut the town a check for $25,000. But 5,000 people live there, so that's just $5 a person. And the company is worth $55 billion. Thank you, Rebecca. Thank you, Matthew. Thank you, The Lover, for your reporting. We are going to stay on top of this and we're going to have these wonderful, magnificent, magnificently talented investigative journalists back on Unbossed. That is our time today. I want to thank you so much for joining us. You know what I want you to do about this time. I want you to keep the faith. And more importantly, I want you to keep the fight. 
Thanks for listening to Unbossed. If you like the show, then you'll enjoy our other podcasts on TYT Network like The Damage Report with John Idarola, Indisputable with Dr. Rashad Ritchie, and The Young Turks. Make sure to listen and follow, and if you like what you hear, give us a five-star rating.